I think I'm supposed to come up. The lights are still down. <clears throat> and the microphone's on. I'm a sound guy, and that's kind of one of those. I know Evan's got my back, so. Good morning. Welcome to Northfield. Uh, welcome to Amateur Hour. Um, it's here in the beginning of the summer. Nobody was in the pews, so it's a little bit easier. Um, the lights are still pretty blinding, so I got that going for me. Um, so thank you for the worship set. Thank you for setting our hearts in motion. Uh, we're not done worshiping. We're going to stand by the Word of God and, and worship through His Word. So I want to pray. Open us up. I want to start us off. and I'm going to pray for you and ask that you would pray for me also. So, Father, it is truly a humbling experience to be before you, to stand on the promises of Scripture, to stand under the authority of Scripture, and I just pray that you give ears to hear in this morning, that you give eyes to see, because we're a rebellious people. And we're hard-hearted often and stiff-necked and we tend to want to go our own way and do our own thing and, and bristle up against what is good and right and true. So Lord, as we open up, may you be ever-present, may you stir. I pray in remembrance of Psalm 1 to be reminded that blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So may that true be true about us. I pray for these things so much more in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so, yeah, once again, welcome. Welcome to those that... Uh, Come here regular, or if you're new, welcome to you also. Uh, welcome to those that are in, or, or streaming remotely. Um, it's kind of a different morning. It's, it's one of these where I was given uh, what they call the, your, your, your pick. You can pick your topic. They didn't give me a passage particularly. Um, so the Lord pressed on my heart to, to speak on the book of books, which is to say that the greatest mystery of Scripture, and that's revealed in Christ, it's, it's the whole of the Bible is what we're going to be looking at. So, God wrote a book. It's a great mystery. It's the greatest story told. Who doesn't like a good story or even a good mystery, especially the underdog, and especially for those stories where the person that's portrayed is not who you expected. That's, that's so true in Scripture. What is the Bible collectively? Real quick, we'll look at, uh, at what it is. The term Bible is derived through Latin from the Greek to Biblia, which means the books. So obviously it's a book, but 
It's 66 books to be precise. 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. It's been written over a course of 1,400 years by at least 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. Um, The Old Testament contains basically what is known as the Hebrew Bible. There's, there's some differentiations, and it's sorted differently, but, but basically the Old Testament that we have is, is what the Hebrew Bible still is. Now, the 27 books of the New Testament are, uh, are the second part of what's considered the Christian Bible. So we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. Testaments basically refer to covenants, promises. When we rightly consider our scripture, we recognize that it's all about Jesus. It goes back to that, that portrayed underdog, that, that coming Messiah that's painted throughout the Old Testament. Well, what is really meant by that, that the Bible's all about Jesus? I mean, really? Like even, even just some of the smaller points and, and bits and pieces? Well, as, as an overview, consider... Um, a statement from Alistair Begg he made in the documentary called The American Gospel, Christ Crucified. And, and he's, uh, he's got this Scottish accent that I'm not going to try to uh, redo. So basically, Alistair says the Old Testament, simply, is Christ revealed. The Gospels, Christ is revealed. Excuse me. The Old Testament is Christ portrayed the Gospels is Christ revealed. The Epistles is Christ explained. And then the Revelation is Christ expected. From Genesis to Revelation, we see and we read what can be seen as shadows and types pointing to a Savior to our inherited As early as Genesis 3.15, when God speaks to the serpent in the garden, He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, Jesus, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Quick question. Um, We need to ask ourselves, at the core, is the Bible true? Think about that. I mean, is it, is it really true, you know, the Bible, all of it? See, we need to take a time and really consider this because the authority of power and the authority and the power and the wonder and the majesty of God's word given to us is upheld through the ages. Sometimes at great cost to those who risk their life for furthering and interpreting from language to language what we have as the scriptures. As a foundation, we need to view all scripture that we possess, whether it's read from a good old-fashioned paper book. Some bricks are a little bigger than uh, some smaller version. There's variations. Or even electronically, we have tablets now. We have iPhones that that we can have our whole Bible on. We need to consider this from the mouth of God. The reason I bring this topic up is merely due to the nature of war. It's 
an attack on whom and by whom you may be saying to yourself, well, back to Genesis. From the beginning, Satan, his attack is against God's word. We read in verse 1, Genesis 3, and really every day we're challenged with believing God's word and his promises. As author and counselor Lou Priolo writes in The Complete Husband, quote, you have the ability to talk to yourself at the rate of over 1,300 words per minute. Basically, we preach to ourselves at the rate of 1,300 words per minute. It's fibs or falsehoods, fabrications of the deceitfulness of our hearts, end quote. Isn't that kind of alarming? 1,300 words per minute just churning through our minds, right? You might say to yourself, I don't talk to myself. Yourself, you'd, there's, there's dialogue going up there. Some more than others, maybe, maybe it's just me. See, now our enemy, Satan, has not let up on his pursuit to deceive all of us with questioning what God has said, even that all of what we have is true. Therefore, I'm not trying to burden you with the guilt with your cavalier relationship to God's word. First, really, this sermon's for myself. See, he's, he's been putting me through a ringer in preparations for this. He's, he's provided and, and wrestled and, and me uh, before I've brought it before you. So my hope is that along with me that the Holy Spirit awakens in us a hunger. Much like it says in 1 Peter 2, too, as a newborn babe desires a sincere word that you may grow thereby. So first, I want to look at and see what God's word is. Second, I want to see why we should hold fast to Scripture. We'll define some terms. You'll see those in the bulletin for spelling especially. We'll look at the Scripture to affirm. We'll quote some dead guys, and we'll quote some living guys. Um, and then the terms that I have in there, missions that I have are each going to be from the March 15 Table Talk magazine. So, number one, what is God's word? Well, it's inspired. So when I say inspired, we, when we think a scripture was written by inspiration, think the process by which God worked through the human authors of the Bible to communicate his revelation. That can be thought of in the Greek terms, theonoustos. I know Greek term, not everybody likes the Greek terms. So here, if you're wearing a mask, and if you're comfortable, take it, take it off. Take your hand. Hold up your hand. Okay, theonoustos means breathed out. So take your hand, put it in front of your mouth. Blow on your hand. God breathes. God breathed out. God breathed out the word. When God breathes, things happen. When God speaks, things happen. This that we have all around us is put into motion. God's word that we have has been breathed out over those 1,400-some years and inspired the author's So, 
If you want to turn to 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 21. So in light of the word of God being inspired, starting at verse 16, we read, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor, glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in the hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy has ever was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit book of Peter this is the apostle Peter writing this if we remember the apostle Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration the apostle Peter was was well you call him shoe, shoe leather lips. You know, he kind of a big mouth and well, he sandal, sandal mouth. They wore, wore sandals back then. Um, but basically, he, in the presence of the Lord, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this chunk in Second Peter defines how it was inspired. Vodi Bakum says, of this verse as a description. It's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the time of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. They claim their writings are divine rather than human in origin. I'll read that quick. It's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the time of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. They claim their writings are divine rather than human in origin. In a talk that Vodi had given, he gave the example of a young lady that was in college that responded to one of her atheistic college professors with that same description. He didn't have much to say. He didn't have a typical response of uh, refuting God's word. Next, we'll look at scriptures being authoritative. When we say authoritative, this is the power that Bible possesses, having been issued from God, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed. 
It does not need our permission to act. Basically, John Calvin says when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Think about that. The living and active word of God. Martin Luther says this in a similar manner. He says, the Bible's alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. I imagine if we were to sit down and talk with many seasoned believers in here, many that are in the Word, that, that they can attest to this. Many of us can, can testify to the Word of God speaking to us. And challenging us, convicting us, even offering us something to encourage others with. And with authority, um, I was reminded from Don Blair's message a few months back on the pursuit of holiness. Our call to holiness from 1 Peter is out of response to God's holiness. We are always called to see God as holy, believe and imitate for our good and for his glory in accord with scriptures. And our third point for the word of God is all, which is to say all that is needed to know and believe regarding salvation and what pleases God is found in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3 is a letter that Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy. And he writes to Timothy and says, starting at verse 15b, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's that, that God breathed once again, the verses of Second Timothy. And it's profitable. It, it's sufficient. It gives us what we need. Needed to know, needed to believe regarding salvation. It's sufficient to give us what's needed to know and to believe what pleases God. It's all there. Another question for you. Um, can we get helps from other authors and commentators? Is it wrong to have a study Bible? Should I stay in my tower and pour over my Bible be stuck in, in navel-gazing or be in a community with others, other faithful believers. And as the Word of God says, to commit to the public reading of Scripture. 
finding more of who God is revealed in Christ and then how we should live in light earth as sons and daughters. Use discernment. Um, one encouragement says not to read your Bible upside down, which is basically to say um, there's a temptation to read the text, especially in a study Bible or one that has cross-reference and, and quickly jump to the notes or quickly jump to a commentator or quickly jump to a cross-reference. It, it comes back to the element of God's Word being living and active. See, the Holy Spirit works with the Word. And so to spend the time in the Word and to allow the Holy Spirit to work, the Holy Spirit worked with those that have written commentaries, with those that have written study Bibles, that have faithfully studied through and, and crossed the lines of reference in the Bible. So those are helpful tools, but don't jump right to them. That's, that's, that's a challenge to myself. And if it's useful for you, then Lord, Lord bless it. See, the Holy Spirit wields the Word and works it in our hearts, in our minds. Ephesians 6, 17b says, as, as part of the armor of God, we are all so much armor of God, right? If four boys, there's, there's plenty of armor in our home. There's plenty of weaponry. And one of the weapons in the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you ever really sit and think about that? Do you really ever consider the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? I mean, if you, it goes back to that element of being a double-edged blade, a double-edged sword. I see a bunch of guys out here. Guys have something about knives. There's something about blades and knives and, and, and flashlights, flashlights, but you got to have another blade, another knife, another flashlight, whatever, but... but Focusing on the knives, I mean, some of those are razor sharp. I have sliced my finger to the bone. One of my boys came to me and said, I, I had your Swiss Army knife, and I kind of cut my finger right pretty deep. I said, well, we'll do that. You got to be careful. But it's, it's a good thing. Well, with the Holy Spirit wielding the Word of God as, as a sword, as, as part of our armor, wielding the sword against the enemy. What in the world are we going to do with a sword? We've got the word of God. We know that the spirit wields it like a sword. We use it to extract sin in our life. To put to death the misdeeds of the flesh that still want to spring back up. We're able to Pull from the word in our doubts, in our fears, in our anxieties, being reminded of the rich promises and God's amazing grace. God's word is sufficient for our sanctification. John 17, 17 is high priestly prayer. And, and in that, Jesus prays, in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
that, that thought shifts our, our, it shifts back to Hebrews 4, that living and active um, word that sanctifies us and it works in us, it cuts into us. See, sanctification is important because we're, we're seen as just in God's eyes because of Christ. But the sanctification process is that matter of putting to death sin in our life. It's that matter of, of an echo and coming before the Lord and, and pursuing Him and by the power of the Spirit, cutting off those things that, that are within us, the damage relationships that, that hinder our walk in our marriages, the places that we work, even with our children. So quick way of review, the Bible is inspired, the Bible is authoritative, and the Bible is sufficient. That is what God's Word is. So my second point, why should we hold fast to Scripture? Well, because of its inerrancy. The position that the Bible affirms no falsehood on any sort. That is to quote from the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inherency, Inerrancy, it is without fault or error in all that it teaches in matters of history and science as well as faith. Proverbs 30, verse 5, tells us every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. What does it mean to prove something? To be proved true. See, in that verse in the King James, it says it's pure, which at its root is um, a blacksmithing term. So you think of an intense heat of a, a metal that needs to be refined. And, and a metal, before it becomes precious and pure, needs to be put between the fire and the blacksmith. And there's the stuff that comes up, the dross that comes off of that. God's word is pure. God word, God's word has no error. Our second one is infallibility. Infallibility is the position that the Bible cannot err or make mistakes. And that is completely trustworthy as a guide to salvation and the life will not fail to accomplish its purpose. As the Christian church has taught, this doctrine is based on the perfection of the divine author who cannot speak error. That's one of the things that we understand about God that God cannot do. He cannot lie. God cannot tell falsehood. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 gives us a promise. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It turned to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Does that not drip with God's sovereignty? Look back at that. It accomplishes for that which is its purpose, God purposes. It will succeed. It will accomplish. It will succeed. God's purposes are true. 
Isaiah 40, verse 8 tells us, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 1 Peter um, 1, verse 25b also tells us, at the tail end of that, being recited, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's the good news because of the bad news. It's the good news because of the bad news in Genesis, because of the fall in Genesis. It upholds us. And the last point, the last sub-point of our second point, is that a necessity. Stand, and we should hold fast to Scripture out of necessity. This refers to mankind's need for God's gospel, God's special revelation in Scripture in order to obtain knowledge of the gospel and the plan of salvation, which cannot be learned through general revelation of nature and conscience. This is where we see new birth. The new birth is by the scriptures according to Romans 10.17. Romans 10.17 tells us from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This isn't from years of study. It's not from human intellect. It's not from man's cunning ways. New birth comes by the hearing of the word of God. We turn to 1 Corinthians 1.17. In the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And when he writes to them, Chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger. In the time that Paul wrote that, there were many many scholars, many crafted, many um, that were that were very well-spoken, smooth speech 
orators. And, and they spoke a false gospel, and they got many to follow after them. Go back to the book of Galatians, the series that we just gone through. Many were getting turned away because of crafty speech. Many were getting turned away because of the message that was given that was a false gospel, which is no gospel at all. So as we review, as we look at, there's a lot to swallow from this morning. Some of you glazed over it the first term, and that's fine. The Lord works in, in mighty ways, but we need to consider this. So what is God's word? It's inspired, it's authoritative, it's sufficient. Why should we hold fast to scripture? Because of its inerrancy, because of its infallibility, because of its necessity. So all that being said, you might sit there and think, so what? I mean, that's all nice, that's fine, that's fine for you, that's fine that the Lord life. But so what? It's, your time's about running up, and uh, what's our application? Look around us. We're in a bubble. We're at Tremont's a bubble. And I think, I think some of us are starting to see that because the bubble's kind of getting a little tighter. The culture's... Great things happen when scriptures are held high and they're brought forth by those who firmly believe in the power that they hold. See, the Reformation came about in the 1500s due to false teaching of the Roman church. The word was being taught and brought plainly in the Reformation and truthfully to the people in plain terms because they had no word. They had no translation. They were taught in Latin, and nobody understood Latin, and eventually it was translated at that time into their language. Great things started to happen as it was preached and as it was distributed. Many men died early on because it was illegal to translate the scriptures. Read of William Tyndale. Okay. Martin Luther, a strong advocate, translates the Bible to German, the native language of many of the people. The 1700s brought what was called the Great Awakening because, yet again, faithful people brought forth the pure, untwisted Word of God. See, there's kind of a pattern there. There's kind of 1500s, 1700s, 2000s. We see the, the debauchery that we live in. To see the things that they promote on Netflix, to see the things that are influencing the nation and the culture, on social media, in our news. We're in a time, not only in culture, but also where Scripture is being deconstructed, especially in what's called the progressive movement. There's a movement within the church called the progressive movement. It began as the emergent church, now called the progressive and there's a deconstruction going on with the scriptures. There's, there's a, a watering down, there's a, a disconnecting of those things. There's a teacher of a large church in Atlanta, Georgia, who a couple years ago had 
and continues to unapologetically claim that we need to unhitch ourselves. That's a startling statement. Many listen to this man on podcasts, watch him on YouTube. And it, it gets people thinking of the falsehoods of that. And to think all we need is the Old Testament, or all we need is the New Testament. The Old Testament doesn't need to be held on to. He, he might be right. He's pretty crafty in what he's saying, but it's falsehood. Think of how much the New Testament quotes and speaks to and points back. Ultimately, the, the Old Testament paints those shadows, those types of Christ. They prophesy of a Messiah. This week, read Isaiah 53. So, remember the Bible song that we sing, B-I-B-L-E? That's the book for me. Stand alone on the word of God. It's the B-I-B-L-E. Raise your hand if you know that song. Come on. Right? That's okay for the little kids. But once you're challenged, once you're put up against that, you get into high school, into college, like, no, I'm not singing that song. I'm not standing behind that. I might get unfriended or unfollowed or canceled. You're in a cancel culture. I don't want to be canceled by the God who wrote the Bible and deny him and deny Christ who is the living and word. He is the incarnate word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. John 1.14 says, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christ. And we deny reading our Bibles. See, we're in the marketplace of ideas. It's all around us. See, the Bible that we have, it it's, continues to be the number one bestseller. Do you know that? Worldwide, number one bestseller. Maybe not the most read, but it's the bestseller. So the second bestseller is a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's written by John Bunyan. We read a version of Pilgrim's Progress at home, try to every year. It's called Dangerous Journey. It's an illustrated uh, version of Pilgrim's Progress. And so there's, there's a part in that story where Christian, the character, the main character, and his friend Faithful are going into the town of Vanity Fair. And it's, it's pretty well illustrated in this, this story, but um, there's, there's so many baubles and trinkets. There's titles and honors and high offices telling you to buy, buy, buy. And they respond with plugging their ears and pulling their collars up. We will only buy the truth. It's such an exhortation to only hold on to the truth and not get distracted by high offices, by honors, by titles. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to pick and choose the comfortable passages and disregard the hard truths. Do we need to skip Leviticus and Revelation and even that weird one, Song of, Song, Song of Solomon? Read it. Read your whole Bible. I'm working at it. It takes time. It takes planning. Skip Leviticus. Come back to Leviticus. You'll see the richness of Christ after you Bible and come back to Leviticus. It's easy. We, we plan hunting trips and fishing trips. Guys, ladies, we plan a shopping trip to Chicago. 
but we can't plan to read our Bibles. I'm, this isn't guilt, it comes back to, this isn't a legalistic pressing. There's, there's richness, this, this treasure to know Christ, to see him in the scriptures, to know that it's true from the beginning to the end and to hold fast to that because it's being pressed in our culture. And when we preach the truth, when we preach those things, there's so many instances in the scripture. Think of the valley of dry bones, right? Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, right? The word is brought forth, and these dry bones move because of God's word preached by the prophet. Church, daily renew your mind. I forget. I'm so forgetful. There's reasons I forget stuff. I have a history, but I know all of us forget stuff. Even from a young age. Soak it in when you're young. Soak it in now. Each week, this is, I'll finish with this. Each week, you have a bulletin. Back of the bulletin are given to us. New verse every week. Take time to memorize those. Hold fast to them. They've been so rich. Let's pray. Father, you know our needs. Father, you have given us our needs. You have equipped us with everything we need for life and godliness. A pursuit of holiness is, is not desirable. It's not popular. You call us to, and as we pursue you and your attributes and who you are in your nature and the depth and the richness of your wisdom, it's unsearchable. But you give us the scriptures, you give us the spirit. I pray for great awakening. I pray for, for us to hold tight to these truths and that we could go forth and to proclaim them wherever we are. That we can lean on them and trust in them and know that it's not us ultimately that's denied, but it's your word. It's your truth when we proclaim the God. So I pray for these things. I pray for us as we go out that we depend on you, your spirit, your word, your truth, your promises. I pray this simply in Christ's name. Amen. And if you don't have a Bible, I think it's safe to say, I've heard it say it before, so I'm going to use that. You can take one of the ones from the pew. Okay, that's my encouragement. And Matt can chastise me later, but like I said, I've heard it said before, so. May you be blessed. May you go in peace. May you shine your light for him.